spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. This is M-I-P with Massimella Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. It's always a pleasure to have our regular Thursday offering for all of us, Thursday Coast, with the founder of the largest online progressive community. Marcos Melissa is also the founder of Civics with a Q and the host of the most popular podcast, The Brief, every Tuesday. Um, Marcos and I are, as many of you in our audience and beyond, so devastated by the loss of our friend Eric Bolin. Before we talk about it, though, we got a special message from a friend who was going to try to join us for the broadcast today, but she couldn't because of her schedule, but she sent this message for us to share with all of you. Hey, Mark, uh, and hey, Make It Play an audience. I'm so sorry that I can't be there with you guys today, but I did want to just weigh in um, to share with you all um, my thoughts about the great Eric Bollert. Um, what a truth teller. Um, what a loss for all of us and for journalism. I mean, he was one of our favorite guests, one of our most frequent guests. He was almost pretty much a weekly guest. We took his weekends away almost every weekend on AM Joy. And also um, we loved having him on the readout because he was just a truth teller. He held us accountable. He made us be accountable as journalists for what we say and what we don't say, what the media often refuses to say. Um, his Twitter feed, his Substack, everything about Eric was about truth and was about honesty. And so I am just bereft along with you and so many other people, Mark, um, for the loss of this great man. And I just want to share my deepest and the Readout families and AM Joy families' deepest condolences to his wife, Tracy, and to their kids, um, wishing you all peace in knowing the greatness of the man you shared with the world. Cheers. Thank you to uh, Joy Reid for that. Uh, I attended the funeral Tuesday in Montclair, New Jersey, Marcos, and it, it, was, it was quite emotional. It was, you never would have known that it was COVID or we were still coming out of COVID. It was packed. It was a large church. It was wall to wall people in there, brother. It was, it was something else and a, and a great tribute to the many people Eric touched. Yeah. Um, I, I was stunned and I know we were, we were texting that morning and I just, I just didn't seem, seem real and kept hoping that it was, that it was a mistake yeah, or a misunderstanding. Um, and then seeing that confirmation was just, was just a, a blow. And, you know, Eric, Eric wrote for daily coast. Um, but more importantly, he was, he was a friend, like he was, 
he was somebody that that you know we would we would um <laughs> we used to drink commiserate about the sorry state of american media and then uh we'd bounce ideas off each other and and uh and i press front his his uh substack was quite frankly amazing right it was one of the most cogent uh consistently quality critiques on the traditional media and it was it, he never took the cheap shots i mean it was very thoughtful and very fair in its assessments and um he was a you know even aside from being a friend and being a great person because he was all those things everybody loved him uh so, some of the people that were most affected at daily coast were the copy editors people he worked with <laughs> directly working on his copy you know were were devastated given just their frequent interactions and how kind and nice and fun he was and but you look at his contribution of the progressive movement and it's the loss of that is is quite devastating so it's uh it was it was it was rough yeah it was yeah. rough hearing the news um i'm still in disbelief and there's a huge gaping void where he once stood. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, our prayers are with his family. And as Soledad O'Brien said in her eulogy, um, in his memory, we have to keep on. Uh, we have to continue his work and, and hold the Beltway media, the mainstream media accountable. Um, one of the things that we talked about most recently on this show was how the media still um, beats up on Biden, um, won't give credit for, you know, pretty good jobs numbers, but only wants to focus on inflation, uh, the constant drumbeat of Dems in disarray from the New York Times and other so-called mainstream media. I mean, he he pointed all that out, and, and no one, I mean, that was a lane he was in. He was so good at it, I think, Everyone let him have that lane. They're like, you, you got that man. You, you, he, <laughs> we, we he got had, you. yeah, uh, you know, I think it was a week before the accident. He, he had, he wrote, uh, he had found the same organization. I think it was, it might, might have been Reuters or Bloomberg. It was, you know, 200,000 jobs increased during the Trump administration. And it was an excellent job report. You know, then a couple of months, you know, I think last month, 200,000 jobs increased by the administration. And it was disappointing. Yeah. Like those are the things. I don't, I don't know if he had a photo, you know, uh, uh, photographic memory. Because he would pull these strands where the same reporter, the same media organization would take the exact same set of facts. But one of them was a Republican, one was a Democrat, and the way they framed the stories always gave Republicans the benefit of the doubt or gave right. them credit, and they never would do the same for Democrats. There was a definite double standard, and his, his ability to make that contrast stark and clear and obvious and objective a lot of people, you know, we get lazy. It's like, oh, yeah, the, the liberals, conservative, right? Like, no, he had the receipts and he laid them out in such a way that it was impossible to conclude otherwise. It was truly take, 
providing an objective argument for the media double standard that always, always runs, gives Republicans the benefit of the doubt and doesn't give credit to Democrats under any circumstances. And right. the state of the economy is a perfect example, right? We have the lowest unemployment rate, the lowest number of new uh, unemployment claims in history, uh, the highest wages in history, and yet inflation, inflation, inflation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and inflation brought on by an, an ongoing conflict in Ukraine. So um, long live the spirit of Eric Bollert and long live those of us who understand the importance of keeping that spirit alive more mip right after this uh again you have been uh, all in on ukraine coverage so what's the latest from your point of view it seems as if now we had a, a military official i guess last week say that this thing is probably going to go on for a long time What's your take on that? I was a little concerned about that. Do you think that's a possibility that this is something that might just go on and on and on and on? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're back to the eastern Donbass front. Uh, Russia has some has two cities in the south that are under um, under one of them is under attack by Ukrainian forces. So there's a lot of expectation that that that'll fall back to Ukraine within the next couple of weeks. So we're really sort of resetting back in the Donbas Eastern Front. Now, that's relevant because that has been Russian health since 2014. There has literally been a war in eastern Ukraine. It's been low level because Russia wasn't openly bombing all of Ukraine. But there's been a, a conflict, a, a war in the Donbas Eastern Front since 2014. So we're almost resetting the table and going back to to the same war that we've been that we've none of us knew really were paying attention to it, but has been happening uh, for the last eight years. Um, the fact that it may last longer, though, it's not. I would not be concerned about it. I'd be concerned about it if I was Russia. Ukraine is a lot better shape to weather a conflict of that sort because um, um, the West is flooding weapons in. So the capabilities of the Ukrainian army are improving daily at this point. In fact, uh, on Wednesday, yesterday, uh, the Biden administration announced $800 million in additional military aid. And right now we're looking at around $800 million in gear per month. It takes about a month to deliver that kind of weaponry. And it's not new money, so it's not like they're allocating new money. Basically, they're taking out old mothballed um, equipment that's just sitting in warehouses and they're gifting it to the Ukrainians. There's shipment and transferring and, and training those troops on how to use this gear. But it's not, it's, it's, this is, I mean, this is like no brainer type of assistance to Ukraine. This is stuff that was literally designed to kill Russians. So, you know, at least it's being put to its in- intended use in defense of a, of Ukrainian democracy. Um, it's going to be bloody. If you would look at a map, satellite maps of, of the Donbas region, it is Kansas. It is wide open. There's little pockets of forest here and there, but it's it's farmland. It's it's what's called steppe, right? And it's this famous steppe that runs throughout Eurasia from Europe to, uh, to China. Um, it's some of the most uh, 
productive farmland in the world. And But that's what it means. It's just open space. And right now is mud season. It's raining. It's spring. In fact, it's raining all this week and next week per the per the uh, per the um, the um, forecast. And Napoleon discovered the power of mud in that region during the uh, Napoleonic Wars when when he invaded Moscow. The mud did them in. Hitler discovered the power of this mud because it again it, it stymied. Uh, Germany's invasion of Russia in or Soviet Union, I guess at the time in World War II, and now Russia, not having learned the lessons of its own history, is about to be. It's already been stymied because of climate change. Ironically, the mud didn't freeze as it should have over the winter, but now we got spring and the rains, and so basically we have a freezing of the battlefield. You only can move on roads. There aren't that many paved roads in the area, which makes them open to artillery and ambush. So it's not safe. So I, I suspect that things are going to freeze for at least the next month. Not much is going to happen. But what that does allow is it allows these Western arms and artillery systems and armored personnel carriers and um, tanks to flow in from NATO countries and bolster that Ukrainian um military and so dragging this out a little bit actually works to ukraine's benefit in a way that does not work for russia because russia of course is under is under sanction so <laughs> every month that happens russia is going to be in even deeper economic despair they don't they they lost per western estimates around sixty thousand troops that's dead and injured injured is almost even more valuable if you inflict an injury to an enemy, little known military fact, because it takes effort and resources to pull an injured person back out. It affects morale. It affects national morale to see a bunch of, you know, injured people. We saw it with, with our own returning Iraq and Afghanistan war veterans without legs, right? Like, you don't want to see that. Um, you have equipment shortages. Uh, Ukraine has... Um, destroyed the 500th Russian tank verified verified by independent sources. Ukraine claims more. I think Ukraine claims 800 destroyed Ukrainian uh, Russian tanks. 500 tanks is a lot of tanks. 500 tanks is a lot of tanks. It's about a quarter of what they sent into the theater to begin the war. Mm. That's just verified by pictures. So they, there, there's, there's lots of Antidotes and evidence of mutiny, of Russians refusing to deploy, uh, of conscripts not showing up for the draft. I mean, there, 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 there is a whole mass resistance movement brewing in Russia to deploying back into Ukraine. Hmm. And so there, there, Russia has these problems are not going to solve themselves. Morale in Ukraine is high. They're winning. They won the Battle of Kiev, one of the greatest military victories in, in decades against all the odds. And now they have Western arms flowing in um, in large numbers. It's time right now favors Ukraine. Hmm. Okay. That was, that was a long meandering answer to your question, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> but But that's the bottom line. Well, no, that's very informative. We need we need to know that. And, and you've been, you and Mark Sumner have been doing 
great analysis at dailycoast.com. We invite everyone to check it out there. The So what's interesting, I, I guess the United States and the other NATO allies are still sending, is it co- correct to characterize it as mostly defensive equipment to avoid the appearance of the NATO allies actually engaging Russia directly? Is that an accurate sort of... Not anymore. It might have been accurate until about a week or two ago. Okay. That has changed. Uh, The military package that Biden announced yesterday includes long-range artillery. It includes helicopters. It includes armored personnel carriers. Those are all heavy weapons that are used for offensive... I'm using scare quotes, offensive capabilities. And, and so before it was missiles, it was, it was, it was armored, it was uh, personal armor. Right. Uh, it was missiles, anti-air, anti-armor missiles. And, and it was, um, what else was it? Ammunition. That was the, the first round. Now they're starting to get actual armor. So Czech, the Czech Republic has sent um, tanks and they sent artillery. Britain is sending armored personnel carriers. Uh, who else is sending stuff? Poland is sending tanks. So the floodgates have opened. Nobody's, nobody. And it's a bit of the boiling frog metaphor, right? Where, where they've sort of amped up slowly the, the quality of the equipment going into Ukraine in a way that Russia sort of, had, had they started sending the heavy stuff from day one, Russia may have been able to, to use that as an excuse to escalate the conflict. But it's sort of built. And the fact that these atrocities and war crimes are being exposed in places like Busha in uh, around Kiev in now liberated areas where, you know, we're seeing thousands of murdered civilians. This is it, it puts Russia in a place where they can complain all they want, but there's really not much they can do about it. And world opinion is not on their side. So it, it has given that opening to escalate. And then Joe Biden himself has sort of escalated his own rhetoric, right? Calling it a, a uh, genocide. And some people are like, well, the, the exact definition of genocide is this and this and this. And so people can sit there and, on the sideline and quibble over the le- legalistic definition of genocide. But the intent and the rhetoric coming from Vladimir Putin and Russia state media is genocidal. It's about the eradication of the Ukrainian state, of Ukrainian language. They are kidnapping children from occupied cities and placing them with foster parents in Russia and giving them Russian language education to eliminate their Ukrainianism. I mean, this is some, you know, for a country that's attacking, claiming that Ukraine's are, you know, Ukraine's a bunch of Nazis, they are taking all the lessons from you know from the hitler playbook in their behavior towards ukraine so um the the question now isn't do we send them offensive weapons or not it's happening it's happening the question is and this is what a lot of people don't get because a lot of people like send them the planes send them f-16 send them helicopters it is extremely difficult to maintain and support modern Western military equipment. People think, oh, well, a pilot, right? you can train a pilot. No, no. Operating 
operating a, a M1 Abrams tank, it's easy, right? It's a couple of weeks in a tank. You can, you can teach somebody how to do that fairly easily. What's not easy is maintaining the M1 Abrams tank jet engines. The tank has jet engines. This is not a mechanic <laughs> operating on a diesel, you know, diesel engine. These are jet turbines that, that power American tanks. The optics, the the uh, uh, the uh, night vision gear, this the, the targeting data, the targeting computers. These are all complex systems, and you need people that know how to maintain them. So, for example, the uh, people say, "Why don't we send Patriot missile systems? They can learn how to how to operate them quickly." So, Patriot missile systems. Are, are they they would protect again they were long range anti air missiles so they would protect against cruise missiles and and fighter pilot fighter planes that are attacking ukraine ukrainian positions that'd be great sure. yeah let's get some on there it takes 1 year to train a patriot systems maintenance maintenance guy 1 year but that's not that's not the full training that's just enough training to get that soldier into a Patriot unit where then he or she will spend the next two, three years working with experienced uh, non-commissioned officers in refining those skills. So it's just it's, it's like going, you know, going to college and you learn <laughs> you got a baseline base of knowledge, but then you get to a job and you're getting trained right by your manager, by by, you know, by coworkers. You're further getting trained. There's nobody in Ukraine that can provide that continuing education. So just the baseline training for a Patriot system is a year to maintain it. That's not including to supply it, to, uh, to fuel it, and, and the, the logistical difficulties in, in supporting that. So like an M1 Abrams tank, the American tank, it gets, it, the mileage is three gallons per mile, not three miles per gallon. Three gallons per mile. Now, have a couple hundred of those tanks. Just imagine how much fuel you need to crank up to the front lines to be able to supply that kind of fuel. This is the problem even Russia had. Their tanks aren't as, as fuel hungry. They ran, out of, they ran out of gas, right? Because they couldn't, supply, they couldn't supply those lines. Ukraine is not immune to those logistical challenges. And... Would it make sense to have a tank, a Russian tank, T-72, not as modern, but they know how to maintain it. They already have the spare parts. Their mechanics know how to work on those systems. And it gets about one and a half miles per gallon. So you're talking about, what, three times the fuel efficiency, four, five times the fuel efficiency of an American tank. So those are the decisions that come into play, right? It's not a question of can we get a Patriot system to Ukraine? Yeah, yeah, of course we can. Let, we can move a Patriot system to Ukraine, right. but who's going to maintain it? Who's going to fix it when it breaks down? In military equipment, it breaks down. It breaks down. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's, it's more to it than meets the eye. Um, well, lastly, just kind of look forward to the fall, or really the summer, because we got primaries coming up. We alluded to this earlier when we were talking about Eric, what the Beltway media is and is not covering. Does does America's involvement in this conflict help Democrats in the midterms or is it is it a negligible effect? 
Uh, if if Democrats play it well, it should help them. There there's a there was a viral Jamie Raskin clip floating around. He's a congressman from Maryland, where he was speaking on. I I I don't even know exactly what it was. Something related to Russian aid, to Russian aid package, or re revoking most favored na uh, nation status. It was it was something Russia related, and he was heckled by Marjorie Taylor Greene because she's a boorish <laughs> uh, fool. And he stopped, and he basically said, accused her of being or dismissed her as being part of the Putin Republican. Trump axis, the Putin Republican Trump axis, and I thought that was great framing. Tie Vladimir Putin to Donald Trump, who is the Republican Party right now, and make this and, and point out this is Russia today is what Republicans want. They don't want a free media. They want oligarchs to benefit to to suck up all the benefits from from the economy. Uh, they are they are fascist. They don't want democracy. They want to undermine free and fair elections. I mean, they they are anti-gay. They are anti-freedom. Like, make this election about the Trump-Putin Republican Party axis. Now, will they run with that? I I don't know because Democrats and, <laughs> and they they've never they've never been able to manage. Um, manage messaging in any real way in any coherent way but it's um they need to yeah have to they need to and we have seen biden's numbers increase a little bit amongst independent voters um because of the crisis and his handling of this crisis so i, I think um i think it's helping i suspect that if there is an end to the war before um before november which is, i don't think it's out of the realm of possibility i don't know if it's you know plausible i mean it's plausible it, it can happen uh and zelensky gives biden credit for his role in making that happen i mean that would be a big political boon so there's there's definitely hope for that but um the u.s has handled this biden has handled this crisis incredibly well completely different than what happened in afghanistan and we have seen in civics polling that he has gotten a net six, seven points uh, boost. Now, he's so low. He's like at 38% approval rating. And like that needs to go up by a lot. Um, but a lot of that is young voters. And um, Mark, I don't know. If, did you see this political art article about the youth whisperer? Did you see this? No, no, I didn't see that. Oh, my God. Mark. The youth whisperer. The, the Democrats have hired a youth whisperer. He's a 54-year-old pollster that has his finger on the pulse of the youth, right? And I, I'm not kidding. You got to read about 1,500 words of this article in Politico. And then it says, the youth want college debt relief. <laughs> <laughs> they needed to hire a youth whisperer to tell them what everybody's been screaming since the moment Joe Biden took office. Wow. White $50,000 of debt off the books tomorrow. Executive order. Do that. You're going to need a youth whisperer to tell him. A 54-year-old youth whisperer. What, the youth's what? been screaming. They've been screaming about student debt.
But no, why would, why wouldn't Biden just do that? Oh, God, I mean, that knows. seems to me to be easy. I don't get it. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And maybe it takes a youth whisperer to convince him to do it. Who knows? Who knows? Youth whisperer. <laughs> youth whisperer. And the whole time, I'm like, at some point, they need to talk about college debt, right? Reading his article. And then finally, I'm not kidding. It's like 1,500, 2,000 words into this into the story. It finally mentioned college, you know, student debt relief and climate change. Boy. Okay. Uh, Bring well, him on the show, Mark, because he'll tell you things that you didn't realize, like the youth want college debt relief. And 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 what's interesting, you mentioned the guy's age. He's the same age as practically you and me, So, but he's a youth whisperer. We already knew this stuff, so what does that make us? Just look at what the youth are saying. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a secret. Yeah. No, yeah. This is, we're, we're not – there's no – there's no code that needs to be cracked here. I mean, we can sit there and wonder, like, what are conservative Trump voters thinking about? And, like, genuinely don't understand it, right? Because it's unfathomable. I don't get it. I don't understand what makes somebody think, yeah, Trump is somebody I want to vote for. Wow. These voters, we got that. They, they're telling us. It's obvious. Yeah, we'll have, definitely have to have to check that one out. <laughs> Folks, don't forget, listen to The Brief uh, every week. DailyCoast.com. Read Marcos's incredible uh almost daily posts about the war daily yeah multiple times a day i'm i'm consumed yeah I'm consumed. and then uh, mark sumner's writing about it we're gonna get mark on the show soon too uh and of course check out civics with you oh any 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 polling civics doing any polling about ukraine um we're not doing any ukraine specific polling we've been tracking attitudes towards russia for okay. five or six years and what we're seeing is that only about 8% of Republicans actually see Russia as, as a friend. And so it's amazing that Trump and, and Tucker Carlson and Marjorie Taylor Greene are still so wedded to the notion. And it's because they think that, you know, they'll help Trump steal the next election. Like that's the ultimate bottom line of, of their support for, for, for Russia. And, of course, they love the anti-gay, anti-woke anti um, hyper religious Christianist in a in a in a oppressive way, not an open loving you know love thy neighbor way, but in the uh, we hate gay people way. Um, but yeah, but but it it's yeah we we've noticed because after after 2016, about 35 percent of, of Republicans were saying that Russia was a friend. And that's plummeted. The war has not been good for them. And, and it's amazing that Trump and his his people are not adjusting to that. Oh, I think that's more, a, and that's a weakness we should be able to exploit. One more thing I want to ask. Have I been hearing correctly that within Russia itself, though, support for Putin is actually growing? Is that true? Yeah. Um, we have to assume that that the polling is legit. But it, it makes sense, right? I mean, I mean, we see the power of Fox News to propagandize 30% of the American public. And that's with opposing viewpoints proliferating in the media scape. In Russia, there's no opposing viewpoints, right? It's just the propaganda. Right. So imagine Fox News was the only source of information in the United States. That 30% would be 70%. Propaganda is real. I mean, yeah. it's, it's been the tool of every dictator in, in, in history. And... Um, 
and there's a rally around the flag effect that, you know, even, you know, we were sitting there screaming about the, the illegality of the, of the invasion of Iraq by George Bush, but people rally around the flag in, in times of times of war, no matter if the war is justified or, or just or not. And so you got that, and, but you had the lack of, of alternate viewpoints. I mean, I was an alternate viewpoint in 2003 when George Bush attacked Iraq. That doesn't exist in Russia. Yeah, no, yeah, no alternate. Right. I got you. Thanks as always, Marcos. Always a pleasure. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.